Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Let's go ahead and jump right in uh, to Acts chapter uh, 11, and then we're going to back up to 10 and do that whole dance thing. But we'll pray first. Today, God, we thank you that you are with us in all things, and you give us the words to say. Uh, let us have ears to hear your word for a, not a history lesson, not a story, but something that we use today in 2023. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump in. Last week, we left off. Peter uh, had this vision and about a man named Cornelius. And what ends up happening is, is that we find out last week that it opens up the doors for the gospel, the story of Jesus, the reality of his salvation, the truth of his divinity to be released, not to just the Jews, but to also all people. That's you guys. So let's go ahead and Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren, let's real quick. The disciples, the apostles, we're talking about the, 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 the leaders of the movement and those who are not leaders but still part of the movement are, were, who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him saying, you went to the, into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Let's just kind of break this thing down for just a quick second. It, it, it seems like it's a, um, a stupid conversation. But does anybody else, if we're going to be honest, like if we're going to be, we're in church, you lie, lightning from heaven comes down kind of thing. Does anybody like hearing a good, juicy story? Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, I didn't say, like, I want to run somebody in the ground, but when you've got a good story, you know a good story, that's solid. Here's the good story. Did you hear what Peter did? Not this Peter. Y'all have heard a million stories about me. But the Apostle Peter. Did you hear what the Apostle Peter did? No. What did he do? Did he raise the dead? Did he just, like, just rapid-fire healing with his, like, finger guns? Like, what did he do? He's like, no. He went to a Gentile's house, and he had food with him, and then he told said Gentile that you don't have to be Jewish, you can just get the same thing that we've all got. Now, for us, we'd be like, and the good part is... But you have to understand, in that season and in that time, this was one of the worst things anybody could do that would stir up some gossip. And so when the Bible says contend with them, it wasn't like, hey, man, what happened this past week? Did you just like bump in the head? Did you not know? Did you think he, did he have like the star of David and you walked in thinking he was Jewish, but he wasn't? Like, no, the word contend in this context is to directly oppose vigorously against one. This is you screwed up. I cannot believe 
you would do such a thing. How dare you go and defile everything we're doing with what you just did? Severity with this conversation. So this whole idea, and they contended with him. It wasn't like they had a conversation. They were livid with him. See, when a Gentile or a non-Jew would come into town and, and do whatever, uh, they, they didn't just hand out. They didn't just have communication. They didn't have food. And, and so when Jesus is talking about the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, remember that story? And it was such a taboo story. At least in that context, that Samaritan was somewhat Jewish. In this case, there is no Jewish affiliation at all. This is a Gentile, and not just a Gentile, pause, this is a Roman official, the one who is oppressing their people. This is the enemy of my spiritual enemy. This is the person that is here. He is the one, if you will, because they, they had this idea, which was true, that they had fallen away from God, and part of their judgment was that other nations would overtake them, and in this case, the people who have overtaken them is now acting like a brother? Are you kidding me right now? Where's the justice? Where's the faith? What, what is happening here? And now Peter, our leader, the one who denied Jesus, the one who has walked on water with Jesus, the one who's in all of these miracles with Jesus is now with them, and not just with them, he is authenticating their faith to be equal with us. Our enemy. He entertained a Gentile as a welcome guest. Normally a Jew would have said, well, nice to meet you. Slam the door in their face. They would not allow them inside. They would have rather them stay in the street in the pouring down rain than even let them into their own house. No Orthodox Jew would have ever invited a Gentile into his house, nor would he have ever walked willingly into a Gentile's house. It was the same idea as eating an unclean food and being distant from God. That's the severity. They're looking at him going, if we can take it all in, Peter, you sinned against God by doing this. By entertaining these Gentile guests, Peter went against the customs and traditions of Israel, but not against the word of God. And I think one thing that we need to pause and meditate here is there is nothing at all that I have found so far that says that Peter having a conversation and a, a walking through or a passing through with uh, being in the, the house of a Gentile is against any Mosaic law. I, I haven't found it. Not saying that there's not some vague thing, but they, it was a tradition, it was a religious order, that this is just not what you do. And isn't it interesting how so many times in our lives, we make things that are preference and we turn them into spiritual. And if somebody doesn't do my preference, they're no longer spiritual like I am. See, there was nothing that I have seen so far that says that what Peter did was overtly wrong. It, it was just the way he was raised. You didn't go to those people's houses. You didn't hang out with those people. You didn't do that because then what kind of person are you? And I feel like what's happened in our world so many times today is that we've dealt with some of the same issues. 
We've dealt with some of these same things where I can't believe you would wear that to church. Like Mr. Bob threw me under the bus because I'm not wearing a suit. Like, I I can't believe that you would wear this to church. I can't believe that you wouldn't do this. I can't believe you sing those songs. How about this? I can't believe you have instruments. I can't believe you don't have a choir. I can't believe you have hymnals. I can't believe you don't have hymnals. I I can't believe that all of these things, whether you have carpet or you've got chairs, whether you've got hard wooden pews or whether you sit on the floor, whether you have church on a Saturday because that's your Sabbath or on a Sunday because you serve all of these things that we go through, right? Hear me out. They're not bad things, but they can't be our spiritual beacon on everyone's life. Does that make sense? I can't judge somebody's spirituality because they don't live a preferential treatment like I live. Just because that song isn't my jam and that song is your jam doesn't mean that my song's better than your song. It may be better for me, but it doesn't mean that my relationship with God is better than you. Because your relationship with God is dependent on how you interact with God and his word. But here's the problem. Can anybody see a problem with what I just said? The problem is who gets to decide. And this is not a setup. This is the reality of our lives. This is the reality of where we are. Because now, if Rusty gets to decide what's spiritual, and Matt gets to decide what's spiritual, and Elaine gets to decide, and Alan gets to decide, how do we know what actually is spiritual and what actually is preferential? Are you with me? There's a big difference. Our preferences are things that are not written in the scriptures, but they are a preferred level of comfort. Spiritual things are written and confirmed in the scripture and are not left up to interpretation. Okay, are are we on that same kind of track right now? But here's where it gets crazy with Peter. God told the Jews what was clean and unclean. So now what? Because remember Peter's vision, a sheet came down with four corners, and in that corner, on that sheet, were clean things and unclean things. There were, there were kosher things and there were crawling things. And God looks at Peter and says, kill and eat. And Peter says, No. This is the test. I'm going to pass my test. And it says that it went back up to three times. Came back down. Peter, kill and eat. No. Went back up. Came back down. Peter, kill and eat. For what I have called clean, what I have called uncommon, you shouldn't now call unclean or uncommon. So now Peter is in a conundrum. Have you ever found yourself in that spot? Like, God, what I'm hearing your spirit lead me to is different than what I have been taught. Anybody? And this is what I find with the Apostle Peter is in a stuck position because he feels like the Holy Spirit is leading him one way, but tradition and his knowledge is leading him in a different way, and you're stuck between the two. And this happens in our world. And if you watch at all any form of uh, social media and you watch some random guy on his couch deciding that he is now 
a, a Bible scholar and he tells you these things? Can I tell you, just because they write PhD on their little TikTok doesn't actually mean they've gone to school at all. And sometimes PhD stands for a pretty huge dummy. So that doesn't actually mean that they actually have any accurate. It, there's this one guy that I've been watching on TikTok. He is a, um, he has his PhD. He's a very, very intelligent man. And one thing he does is he is a critical Bible scholar, which sounds really cool. But what it really means is everything in the Bible, my heart is to rip it to shreds. And he has this huge following of, of Christians because it's a critical, in other words, I'm taking the word critically and, and I'm understanding it. No, he's dissecting it down to the most, to most common element to try to disprove everything. That's his heart, is to disprove everything. And you're watching us going, just because he says something doesn't mean it's so. All right. Understanding that through the Old Testament, God did tell his people, do not become like your pagan neighbors. It also says that he wants them to be a light to their pagan neighbors. So we find them that so that they can avoid being like the pagans, they would just shun them completely. And so Peter finds himself in this conundrum. But let me read you a couple of, of legitimate scholarly comments on this whole thing. According to William Barclay, it was common for a Jewish man to begin the day with a prayer of thanking God that he was not a slave, that he was not a Gentile, and that he was not a woman. <laughs> a basic part of this Jewish religion in those days of the New Testament uh, period was an oath that promised that one would never help a Gentile under any circumstance, such as giving directions if they were even asked. But it went so far as to say refusing a Gentile woman at the time of her greatest need when she's giving birth was because the result would be bringing another Gentile in the world and it would be better if she and the child would perish than a Jew help them out. If a Jewish man or woman married a Gentile, the Jewish community would have a literal funeral for the Jew and consider them dead. And thought that they that, that it and it was thought that to even enter the house of this Gentile made a Jew unclean before God. Ancient Jewish writings tell us of a Gentile woman who went to a rabbi and confessed that she was a sinner and asked to be admitted into the Jewish faith. And she said, Rabbi, bring me near. And the rabbi closed the door and damned her to hell. This is what Peter's walking through. This is the severity of the culture he's walking into when they find out, Peter, you did what? In our world, it's a great thing that, they, that Peter did what he did, but in that moment, it was a negative thing. And so let's back up just a quick second because Peter then breaks down the story of what's taken place. And it says to them, <clears throat> in verse 4, in order from the beginning saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet that was let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me and when I observed it intently I, and considered I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Verse 7. And I heard a voice saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, no, not so, Lord. For nothing uncommon or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But when the voice answered me again from heaven, 
what God has cleansed, you, shall not, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, accompanied me and we entered into the man's house. And he told us how he had seen, seen an angel standing at his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter." who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord when he said, How indeed John will baptize you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I should withstand God? Here's some things that Peter did. If you're ever feeling like God is leading you into a direction of life that seems to be confusing, you take this portion of Scripture and you dissect it. Peter is serving God, step one. If you are not serving God and you are not living the life you should be living, everything that pops into your heart or into your head may not be God. Let's start off with Exhibit A. Peter is serving God. For you to hear the voice with clarity and with confidence and to guide your life, step one, be like Peter, serve God. He is praying, he is seeking his face, he is doing everything he's supposed to be doing. He has a relationship with God. It doesn't mean that Peter doesn't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a, a oops moments or even potential um, purposeful sin, but what it does mean is that his heart is regularly chasing after God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So much so that he's giving up food to pray and to seek God. Step one, serve God. Love God. Know his voice. Know his word. And then what happens is this. The Spirit shows up, and it says, Peter, kill and eat. And what does Peter do? No. Can I tell you, it's okay to Test all things. Test it. We test things sometimes by having conversations like Peter did, and then sometimes we test things by seeking out wise counsel. Now, I don't mean your boys. I don't mean your hype girls. I don't mean the guy on uh, putting an Instagram poll or just randomly messaging people on Facebook going, hey, God says this. What do you think? But I am saying that Peter tested the spirit. You test it to see, does it line up? And when Peter is going, I'm not 100% sure, what does God do? God sends confirmation because the voice then tells him, there are people coming to see you. And what happens? There are three people at the door. Okay, God, I'll take the next step. See, God is not the God right now in this story that I'm, that I'm reading that's telling Peter to jump off of a cliff. What he's asking Peter to do is to take a step. Peter, kill and eat. Peter, greet them at the door. Peter, walk with them. Peter, go into their house. It's small steps, one thing after another. But here's another important part, and I think that we're missing this. And it's, it's something that I, it hit me like a ton of bricks the other day when I was going through this. It says this in verse 12. Can you put that up for me? In verse 12, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. What's that next phrase? 
these six brethren, you got to have people that are walking with you. Because without these six guys, it's Peter's story versus their tradition. These six men that were with me will authenticate every single thing that I was going through. Why were these six men with him? These six men were with him because I guarantee you Peter's like, hey, I need y'all to tell me if I'm missing something here. I, I need you to be with me. Watch what I'm doing. This is where I feel God is leading me, and these six men are going to keep me accountable. And you know what accountability is? Accountability is not beating up somebody because they made a mistake. It's to give an account for your ability. Peter, you are an apostle. You are leading. You are guiding. As an accountability, I want you to understand right now that I believe in who you are and what you're doing is not living up to the level that God's called you. I'm not beating you up over the head about every mistake, but I'm reminding you of what you're called to be. And what we need is a community of people that will lock arms with me in my lowest moment and go, hey, hey, you're not your sin. We're going to pull you up to remind you of who you are. I'm not going to beat you down and kick you because you made a mistake, but I'm going to lift you up and say, hey, you're better than this. Listen, the enemy is so great at putting shame on people. Christians are so great at helping him. And it's not that we ignore sin. No one is saying that. Listen to my last few weeks. You'll hear me hit it hard. But one thing we understand is this, is that there is that when we fall down and we fall short, having a brother to go, I know what you did wasn't okay. But that's not who you are helps get them back up again. You've got to have people around you that look you in the eyes and go, I know you messed up. And we're not minimizing it. But that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Peter took these six men with him. <clears throat> and these six men would verify every single thing that was going on in Peter's life. And, and I love this whole idea here that, that they're walking through and they have this huge controversy that's, that's going on that these men who are, as, as they call, of the circumcised, in other words, they are Jewish men who follow every Jewish law, are upset that you're not making these people do what we had to go through. I, I do find it interesting that, that the Bible says it's those of the circumcision, not the Jews. <clears throat> not to get graphic. For that to be, there has to be a cutting. You all understand where I'm going with this? It's a painful process. Typically it would happen, I think, the seventh or eighth day of birth for the male child, if I remember right. But there's also lots of stories of men having to do this. Adults having to do this without anesthesia. Okay? It's not a fun process, I would imagine. So you have these group of men going, we had to go through pain, and we had to get cut. Why don't you? And I think this is a, a weird spot because we find people in the church today who goes, I had to go through hell. Well, why don't you? 
I had to go through so much pain. Why don't you? Why did God make it easier for Alan than he did for an Elaine? Why does a, a, a Cole have a harder time than an Eric? Why, why, God? It's not fair. Has anybody looked and go, God, it's not fair. How is it fair that I have struggled and I have read and I've been in church and I have been faithful and I've done all of these things and I've been going for years and years and years and years and years and years and my friend, she gets saved six months ago and now she's teaching on stage. That's not fair, God. And what we have to realize is this, and this is a hard lesson to understand. There is nothing at all in Scripture that says that God God is fair. Because fairness is relative. We don't all start on the same planes. We don't all start with the same families. We don't all start with the same education. We don't all start with the same talents and abilities. We don't all start with the same parents. We don't all start with the same issues. There's no fairness but here's the thing. God is not promising any one of us that everything will be fair. Because here's one thing that I have learned over and over and over again. It wasn't fair that Solomon inherited the land that David fought and killed for. But that was a wonderful, godly heritage. Have you ever noticed that? A godly heritage is the land that a previous generation had to fight hard for so that the next generation doesn't have to fight for. And if you really truly want to have a biblical godly family, moms and dads, you have to fight for something and you have to cut for something and you have to bleed for something that the next generation will inherit without having to do a single thing. A righteous man, the Bible says, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Sometimes that's money, and I hope you have the ability. But you know what a real, true, righteous inheritance is for your children's children? Is that you fought and you cut and you bled for something that two generations are living off of now. You stood in the gap. You said my family is going to do this. You said we're going to read the word. You said we're going to be believers. You said we're going to do this. We're going to live by faith. We're going to serve God. We're going to do those things, and we're going to fight. And it's going to be a struggle sometimes because you're fighting oppressive thoughts. You're fighting oppressive actions. You're going against the principalities and powers of the world, and you're going to gain ground. And then you're going to tap in the next generation, and they're going to push in a little bit more and they're going to tap in, and they're going to push. The problem is the church has gotten tired of fighting. And we've created a bunch of people who are whining on the sidelines that my dad has it harder than an Elaine, and I've got it easier than a Rusty. And, and we point fingers instead of gathering arms and pushing together for the next generation. And you sit back and you go, Pete, why do you keep talking so much about talking to people about the lost, uh, the lostness of Jesus and, and getting them connected to Christ? Why do you keep bringing up the same thing? Because we have to take ground again. We have to look back and go, I'm not, I'm, come on, I'm sick and tired of being on the sidelines watching time fly by. I have to gain some ground. It's my parents. They got saved. 
And it wasn't a good situation when they got saved. They went from bad situation living in the world, but better economically, to a flip-flop. They're right with God, and it wasn't a good financial situation. But you know what they did? They took every day, and they lived by faith. You've heard the story, if you've been here long enough, where my dad had to look and go, God, I know you're telling me to give X, but if I give it, we won't have money for food. You know what that was? It was gaining some ground. And God provided. So the next time, gain some ground. And you know what's crazy for that generation? Is it's hand-to-hand combat. Like now in our, in our modern world, we can see cyber uh, warfare and, we can, and, and you're watching things that are taking place thousands of miles away. But the real spiritual battle isn't things that are taking thousands of miles away. It's the hand-to-hand combat between your ears. And you have to gain the ground. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive. Because what you're doing is you're gaining some ground. But here's what the thing. We can't gain ground and not tell them where we came from. This is why your testimony is so important. Because I fight with my sword, and I'm gaining some ground, and I'm getting spiritual breakthrough. And I look at my kids and go, we were here. We moved the line to here, and here's how we did it. So my kids get behind me. And so when it's my turn to hand off the sword, they don't go all the way back over and start again. They pick up where I left off. This is why we put our kids through church. This is why we teach them at home. This is why we explain to them our lives. This is why we walk through our testimony so that they don't lose the ground that you've been fighting for. It's it's a horrible thing to see generational wealth that that men and women have fought for. And Rusty can attest to this because uh, his line of work, that they have gotten millions of dollars and within what, one or two generations, most of it's all gone. They blow through it. They don't know how to manage the victory that was inherited to them. And you wonder why we are in the sense that we're in with the church. Let's, let's go back a few decades. In the 60s, in the 70s, the Jesus revolution, the Jesus movement exploded. And we watched tens of thousands of men and women come to know Christ. In the 80s, this whole idea of faith began to pick up. Late 70s going into the 80s. And we watched them begin to to speak things into existence. We watched the fivefold gifts really manifest even more greater. You know, even past Azusa Street, we're watching it become a modern thing that's continuing to process and we're continuing to grow. And then we had the 90s come up and then the economic benefits really started picking up with everything that had happened in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And then the 90s came in and everything's going great and we stopped fighting. You know what we did? We got comfortable. Why? We didn't have to fight anymore. You remember how great the 90s were financially and going into the 2000s? It was, it was comfortable. And so what happened is, is from the 90s to now we're in 2020, roughly, we had almost 25 years. Hey, how long is a generation? Yeah. Half a generation of people not even fight. 
And so what happens is, is that we stopped fighting and we didn't teach the next generation how to maintain what we've already fought for. What we ended up doing is we wasted our time. Can I tell you, the enemy doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't go, poof, good game, goal. See you next year. He backs up, he recoups, and he figures out another way. So let's go into it. The enemy will oppose you 100%. What he can't oppose, hear me out, he joins. Absolutely. I will oppose, I will oppose, I will oppose, then I'll let go. Hey, Cole, can you come in for a second? Uh, I'll, I, and, and watch you be a part of it. So what happens is, Cole's been working out, he's getting strong. All right, put your hands up, and I want you to push. Push me back, push, push, walk with me, come on, push. He opposes, and then when you let go, he, you do a swim move. Anybody ever play football? In football, that was something you would do, is you'd have these linemen come at you, and you'd hit, and then you'd swim over them to get behind them. And their momentum would put, you ever seen those big, huge guys just pancake on the ground? The defensive back would learn how to use their momentum to swim over them, and they'd fall on the ground, and they'd destroy a quarterback. This is what the enemy's doing to you guys. He stopped opposing and started standing next to you. Because you remember in the 90s, Miss Elaine, when the Spirit of God would begin to move, people started getting weird. Anybody else been a part of that? Why are you clucking like a chicken? That's the Holy Spirit. I, don't, I think that's the spirit of KFC. I don't think that's Jesus. <laughs> I felt Jesus and they're doing the worm. I'm like, I just don't think that. that. That's just not it at all. And so all of a sudden, then we had a generation where I'm at would watch the weirdness of the spirit and go, yeah, I don't want that. Thanks, bud. Why? Because the enemy went from opposition to pushing it forward into a sense where we weren't maintaining healthy boundaries. And what Peter here is saying is we're not going to take everything that God has said in the past and throw it away. We need healthy boundaries too. He's looking at these men going, this is about the gospel. What God has said, it's okay. We can't oppose but here's the problem that we're running into is that we can't oppose God's will and at the same time, we have to understand what God's will is. This is a, it's a hard thing for everyone to grasp and I understand this, but here's where we are. The enemy will bring opposition to you and at the same time, once the opposition stops, he'll go alongside you to make a bad taste in your mouth or to make you comfortable so that you stop pushing forward. And this is what's happened. In the past 25 years, we've watched our United States go complete berserk. Why? And I'm just going to be bold enough to say it. It has nothing to do with who's in the White House. It has nothing to do who's in Congress or who's in the Senate. This is not an R and a D fight. At all. At all. What it is, is the church stopped fighting. Amen. 
I, I, I watched this video with dad the other day, and it had uh, Dr. Fauci on, Fauci on it. And he makes this statement, a very true statement. And he says this, if you can make life so hard and uncomfortable for somebody, they'll give up their, um, not morals, they'll give up their, 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 their liberty to do what you want them to do. The most true statement I think I've heard in quite some time. But that works both ways. That, that's a double-sided coin. We take this and gasp, how, how dare he? But why, why not us? Why haven't we made it hard for the world? Why have we been cowering down in the fear of offending somebody to tell them about the love of Jesus? I want you to think about that. We are afraid to tell somebody that Jesus loves them because it might offend them. Why? How about this? Maybe it won't offend them, but maybe they'll reject me. We're afraid to tell people that Jesus loves them because that person may not do what I want them to do. Y'all, we have to wake up and realize that when Acts 10, Peter took a stand for righteousness, it was an uncomfortable position to put himself in, but it was the right thing to do to gain ground. We cannot win this fight if we are always the one defending our faith and not the one being the people who are pushing the line forward. The church will not survive if you are always sitting on the sidelines, sitting in the quiet going, it's okay, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be, yeah, yeah. No, that's not me. That's, that's another church. Like, no, no, no. no. Have faith in God and have faith that he's going to do what he wants to do and be the person that's going to be used. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer. And what you have to realize is this, is before I can go into harder and more complex versions of what we're going to be walking through, we've got to get over this idea that sitting on the sidelines is safe. Sitting on the sidelines is a death sentence. Have you noticed the world's not getting better? Am I the only person here? So you're telling me for 25 years of sitting on the sidelines, things haven't gotten better? Being a pacifist will never be okay with a dictatorship. Have we not learned that lesson before? I understand this isn't a jab at anybody, but maybe you didn't have a great history teacher. In World War II, we tried this. Not spiritually speaking, physically. If we give him a little bit, he'll stop. If we give him a little bit more, he'll stop. If we give him a little bit more, he'll stop. Y'all, Hitler wanted it all. But he said he just wanted this little section. He's a liar. And if you think the world, the spiritual aspect of the world, doesn't lie to you to say just a little bit, and then I'll be okay. Come on, y'all. 
It's the same playbook over and over and over again. You have to wake up and go, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And it doesn't start. It doesn't start at work. It doesn't start with your friends. And it doesn't start with the strangers at Walmart. It starts at your home. We have to raise our kids in a godly home. I didn't say a perfect home. I'm saying teach them the way. Has anybody here, and by a raise of hands, you were not raised in church, but you got saved maybe as a teenager in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s? Anybody? Yeah. Great. You have a fantastic story. Who is here was raised in church your whole life? <clears throat> you have a fantastic story. Was anybody like me that was raised in church and went back crazy? Yeah, you've got a great story. How about this? Is anybody here, I know she's in the kids' church, besides Heidi, is anybody here that was raised in church and goes, yeah, sure, I sinned, but I didn't go crazy. I stayed pretty much true to the word of God? Good. You're like, maybe. It's okay. Raise your hand. That's a fantastic story. Can I tell you guys, whether you stayed true to the word of God your whole life and God has been faithful whether you ran away from God and you were a prodigal, whether you had no idea about God and you became into faith, or whether you were raised in the faith and, and, and you had some crazy stuff happen and whatever it is, your story is important to your kids. Because God, hear me out, God sent you your kids. I know it's not always this case, but the Bible says kids are a blessing. And one of the biggest things that we have to realize is this. If God sent me a blessing, he gave me the ability to manage the blessing properly. And a blessing is meant to be managed, not to control. Okay, let's back it up for a second. If God was to give you a million dollars, is that a blessing? Nope, I'll take it. I mean, come on. That's a blessing from God. But is that blessing meant to now control your every day? Or are you meant to use the blessing to be an impact and be a blessing? Your kids, the Bible says, a man who has a lot of kids, or many they are like an arrow in their quiver, meant to lean back and launch. Your role as a parent, and I don't care how old your kids are, how young your kids are, you can start where you are. Tell them your story. is to express to them the testimony of God in your life. Because a story behind something tells me the why behind what they're doing. Does that make sense? You ever hear a story and you go, ooh, that sounds horrible. And then you, you hear the backstory of how it got to that place and you go, eh, I kind of get it. No? 
Guy sitting at home, storylines, men shot dead at front door. That's rough. Then the whole story goes out, somebody's trying to break in, break, has a gun, guy shoots him at his house, and you're like, okay, now that makes more sense. The storyline, your testimony should be a detailed story of why mom does what she does. Why is mom so mean about my music? I don't either, dad. Still trying to figure out, but her story gives me an understanding of how she got to that spot. Your testimony with proper discipline with your kids will help them be the life-impacting young men and young women they're supposed to be. When it comes to Acts chapter 7, here at the beginning, we have to realize this one thing. <coughs> Peter doesn't apologize for moving the ball down the field. He illuminates what God did to lead him to that place. The lesson for today is this. Get off the cotton-picking sidelines. Push the ball down the field. Right now we're in football season. For some of us, it's been beautiful. For some of us, it's been tragic. But I watched a lot of games this past weekend, yesterday and, and Friday. And it was demoralizing. You could see it in their face when an offense runs the ball and a defense can't stop it. And it's worse when the announcers go, they're about to run the ball. If the announcer knows it, the coach probably knows it. He's probably called a play and the defense knows it. And the defense is looking at them going, I know you're going to run the ball. And the offense goes, yeah, we're going to run the ball. And they run them over. And they stand back up and they do it again. And again. And again. And again. And you're watching this over and over. And you can see the defense kind of just hang their heads and get back in line. Get blown back. They started off strong. But as the game gets on, they get exhausted. And it's not... And it's funny to me because I've never understood this. You hear this phrase, the opposing offense really needs to eat some more time so the defense can have a rest. Well, what about the opposing, like, they're not just running laps by themselves. You've got two teams fighting each other. Why isn't the other side tired? You know why the other side isn't tired? Because they're winning. With momentum comes momentum, which comes momentum. And what we have to realize is that if you resist the enemy, he flees. That's what the word of God says. Resist the enemy and he flees. You know what else it says? And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. When you resist the devil, you push the ball down the field. And it's demoralizing. And it's your job. It's, listen, your job. It's your job to push the ball. It's not time. I know there's a million things on on every social media you could possibly imagine about how it's the end times. I get that. And it very well may be. 
He can come back in 15 days. He can come back in 15 years. He can come back in 15 decades. But can I tell you, it's not time to take a knee. Now's not the time to run the clock out. Now's not the time to be like, hey, it's in the bag. We've got this. And just take. It may be fourth quarter, but there's still so much time on the clock. Gain some yards. Don't stop. Keep pushing the ball. Pete, what do we got to do? You've got to talk to your family about God. You've got to talk to your kids about why we go to church, that it's not for entertainment. We don't just come here because you want to get a, a couple of lollipops, play some games in the gym, and then run around. No, we're here to learn about the Word of God because it's the Word of God, y'all, that will help us fight the enemy. We are in a real fight. You are fighting for your life, for your kids' lives, for generations' lives, and it's not time to mail it in. I understand that it's comfortable to stay home, and I understand it's comfortable just to listen to a podcast every once in a while or read a book every once in a while. But listen, you have to be with your six brethren. You've got to fight the fight. You've got to push the ball down the field because there's too much time left on the clock. And listen, if we've learned one thing in college football, it's this. Anything can happen with two minutes. Anything can happen. And so in your mind, you may go, ah, there's two minutes left on the clock. Jesus is coming back soon. Anything can happen. Fourth and 31 is a real thing, y'all. Zero seconds on the clock with a kick is a real thing. Well, kick six, whatever it's called, yeah. It, those are real events, and it's not time to mail it in. And if you want to have conversations on it's the end times or not, you know who thought it was the end times? All the church? Read Thessalonians. Paul's like, he ain't come. You know what's crazy? Paul goes, it's the last hour. You know what's crazy? It was his last hour. Now this is your last hour. Everybody in the room right now that I would imagine I can see in the next 60 to 80 years, we'll probably be in glory. This is your last hour. When you take the string of history and understand what 60 years is, Callie, Christine, she's 120. <laughs> you're, you're walking through this life. Understand. It's ha- I was talking to my wife today. New Year's is like 27 days, 28 days away. You know how fast that is? Christmas is around the corner. You know how quickly that's going to be here? 60 years is around the corner. It's going to be fast, and you're going to sit there in glory and go, God, I didn't do anything with my time. I got into some debt. Went to the beach a few times. Worked, I think. Lots of TikTok. I forwarded a lot of things on Facebook. Who did you gain ground for in the kingdom? What do you mean? Like, I put you on this earth as an ambassador. Where did you gain ground? Gain ground, gain ground, gain. I gained weight. Where did you move the ball down the field? Yeah, you know about that, God? (laughs) People weren't really digging that. 
At least I think they weren't. I didn't even try. But I heard through the grapevine that they weren't feeling it and that they wouldn't be my friends anymore. Can I tell you? They're not your friends. They're in hell. How about you have friends in heaven and in eternity because you saved them through the loving word of Jesus Christ? That's what a friend does. You know what the Bible says? A friend loves at all times. In other words, even when they don't want to hear it, a friend loves. Push the ball down the field. We'll finish Acts 11 next week. And then we'll go into our Christmassy stuff later on. But right now what we have to realize is this, as we bow our heads to pray, is that God is a God who loves. There is no shame. There is no partiality. There is no problem here. But the only problem that we're going to have is us. Are you going to show the love of Jesus? This holiday season, people are hurting, people are broken, people are sad, people are angry, people are scared. The field is so ripe with a harvest, it's unbelievable. It's almost not fair. There's no time like now. Who are the people that you're going to love into the kingdom? Pete, I don't know how to lead anybody to the Lord. That's fine. Do you know how to lead them to this place and we can talk? Do you know how to lead them to a Starbucks or a, or, or, or a restaurant? Do you know how to have people over at your house and just show them that God loves them? Do you know how to tell them your story of how you came to the faith and the things that God has done for you? The love of God is here and it is now. Please, right now in this moment, take up your cross and gain some ground. So God, I just thank you that today is the day that you have loved, <coughs> you have given us, you have given us grace, you have given us mercy, you have given us joy. And God, I thank you that you've given us your word to expand the kingdom of God with boldness and clarity in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.